0: Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation.
1: We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company.
0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Mixed Company Podcast. You guys are joining us probably for the episode that you didn't know you were going to get, but I promise you, you definitely don't want to not listen to it especially if you have been a fan of us for the last five years, five years, six years, five years.
1: Let's let's go with that.
0: I don't know, five or six years. If you went to college like me in the time that you probably had to graduate is how long we've been doing this, five to six years. Shout out to y'all. So before we get started and we tell you a little bit about what we're talking about, I'm going to do what I always do and check in with the homie, Simeon what is life doing to you how are you we are post-thanksgiving we are right before christmas two things right. can happen uh you can flip some tables or you can flip some pockets and and make some money how are you living right now
1: trying not to flip tables uh the way that i've been describing it all day is that i'm donkey paddling through life um and <laughs> we don't know where where land is <laughs> we're just out in the middle of the ocean <laughs> I
0: just want to say that resonates for me because as a very poor swimmer who is able to
1: keep himself afloat
0: but not confident enough that they could make it to shore, I, too, doggy paddle through life, uh, literally. So if you're doing that figuratively, that must be some shit.
1: I, Um, I feel like the pandemic has really, like, got a lot of us doggy paddling
0: for two years now so just so as you guys are listening it is december 1st 2021 that means that we have crazy that means that we have gone through the entirety of 2020 we have lived to see 2021 and 2021 is out here like listen listen bitch (laughs) listen we did not enjoy you so all 12 of my months are taking our shit and we're heading out the door um i've never had a year pass by so quickly um And I just want to know what I did to deserve this.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It feels like karma.
0: Is that what it is?
1: It does.
0: (laughs) Well, well, let me not talk about karma because I need her on my side for 2022. But what I will do and who is on our side right now is that we have a special guest. Um, And as you guys may or may not know, those of you that have listened to the show over the course of some years, you know that at the end of every season or at the end of every year, We bring on some guests to kick it with, talk some shit with, um, and and just kind of join us as co-hosts. And because we have a special show for you today, I want to introduce our guest host for this episode, who's going to kind of help us round it out. We've got Isaiah Thompson. Isaiah is the professional and organizational development manager at the Four A's. Isaiah is going to tell us a little bit about himself later, but Isaiah, welcome to the show. How you living?
2: I'm all right. I have no complaints. Um, I just had a couple of days off in addition to my Thanksgiving break. Um, so, you know, I feel honored to be here. I know what I'm walking into, but I don't. But I like to talk some shit, too. So I'm here.
0: <laughs> Listen, you are in That's great company.
2: <laughs> you are in
0: such good company. Welcome to the co- some mixed company of some shit talkers. Um, and as you kind of uh, alluded to, you know what you're walking into, but others do not. <laughs> and so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the uh, episode description that I wrote for us um, because I feel like it'll be the most concise way to explain, the, the, the as, as, as Ricky Lawson would say, the ting-on-tings, right? <laughs> mixed Company started in 2016 as an outlet for three up-and-coming advertising professionals to say all the things you couldn't say in Mixed Company, from topics like sexual harassment, Racism, bad bosses, creative campaign blunders, disability inequities, and more, we kept it very real to discuss all things dope shit and all things ain't shit. It has been an amazing and eventful five years, I guess I can count in advance, um, and we can't help to recognize that so much has changed and yet still so much has stayed the same. So... As we close out the year, Mixed Company Podcast will also close out the series. Both Simeon and myself are going to use this episode to take a look back at our favorite moments of the podcast, while our guest host, Isaiah, the future of advertising and culture Thompson, sets the tone for what's ahead for the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion in advertising. So I'd like to welcome everyone listening right now to this episode to the final mixed company as you know it episode yes. not just of 2021 y'all but of the series
3: <laughs> well, as you're I,
0: saying, wait 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 but as you're saying goodbye to us i definitely want y'all to say what's up to Isaiah because he's got a lot of shit to contribute to this yeah. industry and so we wouldn't leave you without leaving you in good hands yeah. so here and we I, are.
1: I think the best way to say it, it's the end of it as you know it, and the beginning of a new version of Mixed Company where, you know, new company will be there and new voices. Uh, I think one of the things that Kai and I discussed, um, not to get too deep into it, was that we're different. And so the purpose of this show is to really, uh, or we've grown and we've evolved, and the purpose of this show is to, You know, ask questions, raw questions that uh, allow the things that need to be changed in this industry to to get the insights that are that are needed for those solutions. And we know too much (laughs) in the in the worst way possible, where it's like, God damn it! (laughs) Um, And so I think that it'll be really interesting to get fresh perspectives. I don't. I wouldn't say we're going to be far, but you know, we'll be we'll be nearby, making sure that or not just nearby in case you know. We need to say some shit, but uh, I'm excited for this new chapter. I'm excited to hear some new perspectives and see what's good. See what else is out there that I don't know about.
2: 100% some, some big shoes to fill is definitely what it sounds like, but I like a challenge. And also I agree with you. I'm kind of new to advertising. I would say still. Um, So I I love to bring a fresh perspective and also just, just figure out where where I can help build your platform and take it to. Right. So when you look back, you're like, all right, cool. That was the foundation, but look where it's at now. Um, And yeah, I like to get to the bottom of some things. So I I can't wait to ask some of those questions.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Getting to the bottom of some things. So in true mixed company podcast fashion, I would love Simeon for us to do our final "dope shit ain't shit" segment. Isaiah, I'd love for you to join us on this segment. Um, as you know, this is where we've for the last five years discussed our current events and labeled what was popping as dope shit and what was not as ain't shit. And so I'd like to go first. Um, I'd like to I'd like to give a shout out to. Um, maybe, maybe one of the hardest working, shortest, um, uh, vertically challenged men in comedy um, for kicking it with the cast of Home Alone in the Capital One, I believe, Move Venture Card campaign. Um, where basically Kevin Hart is now Kevin of Home Alone.
3: <laughs> so for
0: all of you '80s and '90s babies and Macaulay Culkin fans. Um, those of you who still smack your hands on your face talking about, ah, and you remember your, um, your, what were they called? What the Walkman, was it called the, was it called the Tomboy Walkman? Was that what it is where you could like
2: record people? Oh, no, it's the, um... Somebody had Google the mic. it right I had now. the mic. I had the mic. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about, right? I what you're talking you about. You can secretly record. It's
1: like I was Anybody
0: born run. before the year 2000 knows what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah, you're getting a little too much credit. It's earlier Am than I?
0: that. Look, yeah. I'm going to look it up. But basically, base, oh, sorry, it's the Chase Freedom Card, not Capital One. Chase Freedom Card. And so um, Catherine O'Hara, who was the mom of the amazing... Um, uh, uh, a Home Alone franchise who could not seem to keep track of her child. Who, if it were 2021, people would be calling out for CPS. Um, but shout out to the 90s, were different and people were a lot more uh, willing to let people fuck up. But Katherine O'Hara lost Kevin a.k.a. Kevin Hart and the Chase's Home Alone throwback holiday ad. Not going to lie to y'all, I crack the fuck up every time it comes on. <laughs> and I crack up for two reasons, because 2020 showed me that life is short and shit can be funny, and also because some there's a piece of me that within the last two years has... has found it very therapeutic to just kind of recoil back into my childhood. And so as if arrested development wasn't real for me before, baby, I am still a solid eight years, eight to 12 years old today. And so I love it. I love how they've been able to make this crossover feel. It it doesn't feel stale. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel corny. It was funny um, Kevin Hart, love him. We know he's one of the greatest fuck ups in 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 comedy these days, um, and I love that he's been able to kind of make a comeback. And he's doing great things, specifically with the Chase Freedom Card campaigns. He's always yelling. He's always talking crazy. He's from Philly. Those of you that are from Pennsylvania know what I'm talking about. We're just angry and loud in general. And so this is a really good dope shit campaign for me. Happy holidays to y'all.
2: It's called the Talk Boy. Is yeah. the name of, uh, it was called the
0: Talk Boy or Talk,
2: Tom Talk Boy Tape Recorder.
0: That's what it was. Do you listen? The Talk Boy, Dear Diary, um, uh, the Boppets. Listen, if that was on your Christmas list in 1993 to 1997, you know why I'm so hyped right now. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the 90s and all things um nostalgic right now. Thank you, Isaiah. Uh,
2: no, the Talk Boy is special to me, right? <laughs> and I tell people this all the time. Well, I tell people like why Jay-Z is so special to me as an artist. Mm. The first the first tape I've ever had, not C D, <laughs> right? But the first tape I ever had was Life in Times Jay-Z volume one. And I That's listened right. to it on a oh, t- volume one. Yes. And I was the listen- one that sucked. Uh you're so, well no, there. no way. You're Life in
0: Times Volume One.
2: You're well one
0: at, sorry. I, we're talking about the one after um Reasonable What's Doubt. Yes, yes, Al- you guys know that the his you- second album tanked, right?
2: You're looking You're at it. No, wait, 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 and wait, I need you wait, wait, with no, sunshine, the one I'm with not. sunshine, yeah, the one with sunshine. Yes. You guys know that that album flopped, right? Right, but that's not what we're that going to be according anything. to. Oh, because that album, fire, flopped. Yeah. I'm not saying the number, fire. But, but technically, reasonable doubt numbers didn't do well two years later, too,
0: guys. I'm, I, I hear you. And right. I'm going to tell you, even Jay-Z himself does not bang with that
1: album. We don't care. Yeah, oh, okay. they think, think, like, <laughs> he's not even in charge of this. I was
0: like, clearly y'all are not real fans because you didn't even hear him talk about it on his, on his uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech. He literally talks about how that was his worst album.
2: No, I, but, no, I, would, I uh, would
1: not. Not worse than Kingdom Come.
0: He talks about how that was. His, it was the only album that didn't. Uh, Simeon, I don't...
2: To be honest with you, right? I like, I kind of like volume one better, better than, than volume two.
0: That's yes, a whole other topic. I feel like volume two is a lot more
2: commercial to <laughs> me than volume one. It, is. Uh, it I don't is, like volume one better than volume two, so I can't say that. Mm-hmm. American Gangster might be his best album, but that's a whole other conversation. That's a
0: whole other podcast, it's
2: yeah, a whole that, other podcast. That, that, we're talking about the talk boy. And- <laughs> <laughs> So yes, that that's why the talk boy is special to me.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, since since you and the talk boy got a lot of nostalgia built up, Isaiah, what do you have for some dope shit or maybe some ain't shit? It's a lot going on in twenty twenty
2: one. Um, we could go dope shit. We could go ain't shit. First, I go dope shit, and I'm just say what I what came to mind to me was Fifty Cent, right? Because to me, he is he's really like. He got TV on lock, in my opinion. Right? I
3: won't won't,
0: won't hold you.
2: Keep going. Keep talking. he He has TV on lock, right? And he's doing it authentically, right? So, one thing that's crazy to me is, like, the story of BMF is our lifetime. So, we grew up hearing these stories growing up, going to school, listening to the music, hearing it through Jeezy. While they were actually doing this, we were alive. It's not like other stories that somebody else is telling. Right? So, well, I was down south, when I lived down south, Atlanta wasn't too far from where I was in North Carolina. And I would say that a lot of North Carolina is influenced by what's going on in Atlanta, especially during those times, right? Okay. And when you first started to hear it, because I had bumped into some guys that were from Atlanta, and he was telling me the stories about it. And it was unbelievable. In 2003, we didn't have the, 2004, we didn't have the internet like we do now, where you can actually see the Instagram of this happening in the club, right? So Mm -hmm. you first start hearing about Big Meach, all of them, like, they got a safari in the club. It's like, what? Like, this can't be real, right? So to actually have our people tell our stories, right, authentically, Mm -hmm. and we're fully in control of it, that's dope shit to me. You know,
0: I think I, I, I fuck with it and I will tell you why. So for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I need you to go. I need you to culturally do yourself a favor. I need you, if not today, um, definitely not when the children are around or unless you're about that life and then, you know, go ahead and do your thing, but take a stroll over to the stars app, go ahead and immerse yourself in the power universe. Um, But also as you're doing that, take a look at the BMF, TV series that launched recently uh, in 2021 that chronicles the life of Big Meech and his brother Terry. What's their last name? Right. They've got a very American last name. (laughs) (laughs) So take a look over. Um, As you guys know, we always reference hip hop on this podcast. And so um, it is chronicling the life of the drug kingpin family the black mafia family otherwise known as bmf from their start in the 1980s detroit um through whenever the hell the show gets canceled hopefully five seasons from now <laughs> but that is definitely a dope shit i love it i'm always here for a good um gangster television show movie yeah. etc keeps me motivated i'm a huge scarface fan I think it's extremely problematic with the type of work that I'm in, but everybody has their vice
1: And
3: <laughs>
0: not only watch it when I'm in the house.
1: And, and I will say the thing that I love about his um, his shows right now is that they feel like really good period pieces. Mm-hmm. So if you were alive in the 80s and the, the 90s, it literally transports you back to those eras and you're like, oh yeah, that's... That's exactly what I wanted my life to look like when I was an adult. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to to see them is definitely like to your point, this is what it looks like when people are in control of their narratives. It feels authentic mm-hmm. and they're able to bring the cultural nuances to the screen in a way that quite frankly, other people can't.
2: Yeah. At the level and quality that it yeah. is, right? Like, so I, I think that's the the other part, right? Like. What it takes to even do that, I think, is, mm-hmm. is the And I really love the leverage that he has. It might be unconventional, but listen, when he needs stars to do something, he knows exactly what to tell us to do to drive his point. Like, And it works every time.
0: I say it all the time. Nobody knows how to sell a product like a drug dealer or a former <laughs> drug dealer for 50 cents, right. um, uh, 50 cents case. So shout out to 50 for still selling us quarter waters for a dollar, um i'm watching it paying for subscriptions i don't deserve um but yeah i i also think the story itself is some dope shit sim what about you what do you got
1: I feel like since uh, it would be just wrong for me to break um, tradition and show up prepared. uh, So I'm going to wing it again. (laughs) I said the
0: outline and I knew if if no one else was going to ignore it, friend, it would be you continue. I I
1: don't know what else to say except I'm in the middle of like 10 pitches right now. Um, I would say my dope shit is, you know, over the last two years, uh, during the after the the reckoning. We've seen a lot of brands uh focused on engagement with black consumers and doing their doing the bare minimum to engage or you know absolve themselves of their racial sins. Um but I do like <laughs> what uh Google just did with T-Pain and Normani, the shoppable music video. Um at I feel like it's a shift. There are a lot of brands who have decided that they're over uh, talking to black people. Um, And so to see the brands who are still sticking with those initiatives and following through on their promises, uh, I felt like this one was a shift that felt less charitable and more equitable. Um, And what I mean by that is Uh, we don't need white people to save us. We need you to get the fuck out of our our way. And this approach felt more like a celebration of brands who are already doing well and basically just bringing them to the people in a a way that felt culturally uh, relevant. So I really appreciated um, the music video with T-Pain and Armani. It felt good. It felt dope to just see, again, see black people. uh, And... A positive life, but also Google working to make sure that Black people are getting paid.
0: A hundred percent. And I think the interesting part, the interesting part about that is that I actually don't think that a lot of brands forgot. I think a lot of brands are actually missing the mark on how to incorporate Black culture and Black people into their marketing, particularly this holiday season. because if if you change the channel from stars and you actually go back to broadcast television where they still play commercials, uh-huh. you'll see tons of brands having um, a lot of black or interracial or racially focused, um, uh, race and ethnicity focused commercials this season that aren't really telling the stories and the narratives of the people that they're showcasing or casting. Um, and it don't feel right. Like just because just because you say black in your copy doesn't mean I'm. it's going to resonate with me as black. Yeah. And I imagine just because you make reference to um, Asian Asian uh, parts of Asian cultures or Asian countries doesn't mean that that's going to necessarily um, resonate with the Asian community and so on and so forth. And just because you speak Spanish does not mean that it is going to go over well with your Latin slash Hispanic or just Spanish, because everybody everybody uh, uh, refers to themselves differently, audiences. And so I have been seeing a lot of things um, that make me change the channel quickly, but I, mm-hmm. I agree. I think Google actually hit the mark.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's another thing too, where I, it feels lazy. I feel, I think most of the brands feel lazy yeah. and they think that consumers are stupid and it's like, Oh, well, if we just throw a black face in there, they're going to love it. <laughs> and, uh, we, we don't, um, and we don't <laughs> care. And, uh, as a marketer, having been in a lot of these conversations and rooms with, um, white marketers who question the nuance that we bring to the table
0: that's what i was gonna feeling say
1: feeling like it's too much or uh is it true right <laughs> um yeah. I, I, I hope all of you fail uh that is, is gonna be my final words in this <laughs> i hope all of you fail and on to See, second that, my ain't shit is I hope all of you who are ignoring the the talent crisis feel as well. Um, That the ones who are doing things the same way that they've been doing it for the last five years, I relish, I relish in the fact that um, people don't want to work for you anymore. And they don't want to work for these agencies. So those are my final dope shits and eight shits for the the podcast.
0: Thoughts of an angry ad man. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, at, the,
1: at this point, when you see that what you're doing isn't working as marketers i think the the key thing and or the key skill set that we have is that we're strategists and that we should be looking at the landscape and figuring out how to solve problems and this is this is going back to the early episodes of what we of things that we used to say at the beginning which is if you're so good at what you do for for clients you should be able to do it for yourselves and y'all y'all don't and uh, I'm loving all of the, especially the junior people who are like, I don't want to work for you hoes. Um, it's beautiful.
0: Baby, <laughs> it let just... me tell you about these
3: Gen
1: Z's. Never it's... I've
0: never felt less radical and less fucking like, like about my shit until I started talking to Gen Z's. They don't care about your benefits. They no. don't care about your office holidays. They want to know what you can do for them. Ask not what Gen Z can do for yeah. you. But what you can
3: do
2: yeah. for them? Yeah, they, they are, yeah. I'm like, yo, I don't know what the hell is gonna come of this, but I like it. <laughs> it's like, I thought you did. Sure, you know, like yeah. I don't know what's gonna, because I I feel like, and it's very interesting, and I don't know, like when you look at the generation right and the gap, I feel like we're kind of like right in between, like the old. I'm going to speak specifically for black people in our culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, Because I feel like our our set of rules are different than everybody else's, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the stories or the narratives of how to conduct yourself in the workplace, right? I guess and how those are passed down from generations. We thought we were the generations that was like, fuck it. They got to do what they got to do. They don't like what I got coming. But they're coming in and saying, not only are you not, you know, you're going to have to do what you got to do. I'm demanding that you do X, Y, and Z, right? Or none of us coming to work tomorrow.
0: I have heard the the story. I've heard for for Gen Z and not in my company, that way I don't get in trouble, right? But I've actually heard and read about Gen Z um professionals in interviews asking, I see that this role says that it's full-time, but I'd actually like to do it part-time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, I think we might regret laughing right
3: now. I'm laughing
0: because like that sounds ridiculous. But when I did it last time I was like, but why not?
3: It no, no. like, was an
0: article in New York Times, and 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 the CEO called out that. Um, A young, a 22-year-old that joined the organization realized that they could do the job that they were scheduled to be there for eight hours to do in three to four hours. And so she came to him, sent him an email, not came to him, sent him an email and was like, hey, since this only takes me like three to four hours to do, can I just like leave after I'm done? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> the, the 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 beauty of the audacity and the naivete of being able to ask that question is so brave to me. Now, granted, I get frustrated with young people the way everybody else do. I know I'm at right. the age, but also like get your things. If what you need is a three to four hour workday, yeah, and somebody's gonna give it to you, point me in the direction.
2: Right. Listen, I'm like, I'm like you, Kyle. Look, I might I might be getting up into the unk ages. But I'm unk at the gate. I'm like, yeah, let me see how that goes, right? Let me take some notes. <laughs> if it worked for you, let me check. You know, let me try my luck. You know, behind uh,
0: the tree. I want to see how it works out. I know. Not above
2: right. it. <laughs> right. I'm just going to allow you to set, set the stage for me. <laughs>
0: amazing. Amazing. Well, that's it for Ain't Dope Shit and Ain't Shit. It's been, it's been, you know what? It, it has been a dope ass experience this far. And so I will miss having these segments or being a part of these segments myself. Um, But I tell you what, though, if y'all catch me in the streets and you want to talk about it, let me know. We can definitely have a dope shit or an ain't shit conversation. Um, So transitioning to our hot topic and mixed company ending is our hot topic. Um, I'm going to call out some stats because I... One of the things we've talked about continuously on this podcast is making sure that you make time to, to to recognize your own greatness, because who else is going to cheer you on and get you where you need to go and, and, and cheerlead you better than you? And so I'm going to do that for this podcast. Um, and Isaiah, if you feel like clapping at any of this shit, because it's kind of dope, by all <laughs> means, by all means, cheer us on from the sideline. But I'll start with this. Like I said, the podcast started in 2016 and we have been independently owned and operated um, since then. Since 2016, we've acquired over 86,000 listens on SoundCloud and recorded 144 tracks. This is the 144th. We've worked with leading with leading industry platforms like The Drum, Adweek, 3% Conference, Ad Color and the Advertising Club of New York. We did that on our own, y'all. Oh, yeah. We did that on our own. We didn't necessarily. We didn't need a whole PR team. We didn't have a big infrastructure. We didn't have any agencies backing us. In fact, we were actually very averse to having any of our agencies back us because, for the entire existence of this platform, we have wanted nothing more than to support ourselves and say what the fuck we wanted to say. So shout out to that. Shout out for that. That was some good shit. Shout us out for that. Next, our guests have included some of the industry's most influential leaders. We've had guests like Colleen DeCourcy uh, of Widen and Kennedy, the amazing Michael Bay of business, Cindy Gallup, Kenny Thacker, who has gone on to do amazing things with 100 Roses of Concrete, Tiffany R. Warren, the, 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 founder, uh, the founder of Ad Color and currently the uh, chief diversity officer over at Sony Music, talk about making crossovers. We've had Cap Gordon of the 3% Conference, the legendary. And I think this is even more of what makes us special. We didn't just keep it to like who was popping now. We've been vibing with people who have been shaking shit up in the industry since forever. We've had the legendary Valerie Graves, one of the first and most prominent Black women chief creative officers in the industry. I'm talking, she worked at Motown. She also worked at at, uh, Uniworld. She also worked for the Clinton administration. That's the type of shit that we bring to the table. And of course, talking about people coming up and making waves in the industry. we had the mayor we've had the mayor of black Twitter slash twitter communities herself goddess Rivera on this show at least three times. So you know we've had some dope conversations and it's been amazing that we've been able to do this with a diverse uh, sorry a diverse cast of guests over the last five years. So shout out to us for that
1: word i mean i think it, ultimately we wanted autonomy and we got it um and it's uh what we've been able to accomplish is a testament to not giving a fuck <laughs> and um not following the tide of who's popping because quite frankly i feel y'all we don't really care oh let me speak for myself i don't care um so i feel like all of those interviews that we've done have been uh, essential to our growth and the insights and the perspectives that we brought to the table that have allowed us to get some shit changed.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of of making shit, moving shit forward and making shit change, this podcast is an independently uh, owned and operated podcast has taken us even overseas to a place where many of us when we come into the industry have been told that we either were not welcomed, we're not ready, or we're not qualified to be. This podcast has taken us overseas to the 2019 Can, Can Can Community, sorry, Can Creativity Festival with the Can Can Collective with Adrian C. Smith. Probably, and we'll probably get into that later. Probably one of the most epic experiences that we on this podcast have had, um, and 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 definitely not to be um, uh, taken lightly. Um, we've also won. An award, which I think is great. We uh, were we were recipients of the two thousand and twenty Innovators Award from the Advertising Club of New York, and I think most importantly is the growth, right? We started from the bottom, and now we're here. When we started um, this podcast as, as three friends with just a whole bunch of shit to get off their chest, Simeon was just a copywriter at RGA. Karina, shout out to shout out to Karina was just uh, a, a, an account executive over at Ogilvy, and I was just a digital producer at a shop called Space One Hundred and Fifty. Today, we literally stand before, well, stand before you, Isaiah, and can be heard uh, and uh, and can be heard from those listening. We stand among you as Simeon, being the creative director. At 1035 right now today. Well, we
1: not, we're not supposed to say names. <laughs> Bro,
0: we're gone. We say whatever the fuck we want. You say whatever the fuck we want right now. Karina has actually gone on to do amazing things as a freaking winning award-winning creative and influencer, Hala 561, who led who literally led the TikTok influencer revolution with 2019's. Eyes, Lips, and Face Anthem. Karina went on to win. Webby's, she also went on to win a Can Lion. Listen, doing a lot better than many of us. (laughs) And of course me, I did the thing I said I'd never do. And this is why it's important to never say never. Um, And I took the plunge into a full-time DEI role um, as I currently work as the Senior Vice President of Dentsu Creatives um, uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, department. And so, big things have won. Many things have changed. We've done amazing things, and I think it's important for us to recognize that. It was even more important for me to say it so Simeon could hear it because I don't think he he all of the time realizes how dope we really are, friend. We literally are the epitome of dope shit.
2: I was gonna say this is that was some dope shit that you just said. <laughs> That was you. some really dope shit.
0: <laughs> if, and so, if we take it back to Jay Z, friend, we literally built the Rockefeller of advertising.
2: I'll allow it. It's the allow
0: it? It's hey, the hey, rock.
2: Hey, hey, listen. It's the route.
0: If, if if every if every podcaster in your clique is rich, your click is rugged, friend. This is what I'm saying. Like we've done things. No and one. So,
2: no one will fall, right?
0: No one will fall. No one will fall. Why is that? You gotta go.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I kind of challenged me on decoded and i'm gonna tell you right now sis is oh she don't re- she don't remember everything she only quotes
1: <laughs> but,
2: but it goes without saying because we'll be each other's crutches that's there, it. We go. Right. there we
1: go i mean if anything i would say that we showed you all how to ro- move in a room full of vultures in a
0: room full of vultures shout out to biggie smalls shout out to bad boy all right so we'll do this Isaiah, folks need to know who you are. Um, I'll start by saying this: I am um, always super impressed by people who know how to build things from the ground up. I'm also even more impressed when folks come into this business and are able to navigate, or and are literally able to room in a in a in a move in a room full of vultures. And that's because it's very hard to keep your own identity in a business that constantly shows you that there is an aesthetic that is appreciated. And for those who rely on being appreciated, it is very easy to kind of shift and try to fit in and assimilate into that aesthetic. For those of us who are quite comfortable with ourselves and have the confidence and the courage to lead in a way that is true to who we are at our core, it can be difficult. And so meeting Isaiah Um, I think about a year ago, I was extremely impressed with how well you've been able to stick to your guns, show your intellect, and move through this industry in the short time that you've been in it. And so, Isaiah, I'd like to take a couple minutes to to introduce you uh, to our platform and to our listeners. Um, And so if you don't mind, we got a couple questions before you get into it. And ask us some questions as the OGs of this podcast.
2: This is what I'm here for. I'm honored. (laughs)
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's start talking. You've been in the industry for about three years. Of the three years that you've seen this, or close to three years that you've seen this, um, what's your take on the state of inclusion in the industry? I mean, you're looking at it coming from the four A's. So what do you think is going on and how do you perceive
2: it? Um, So my take on it is probably a, a bit unique. Right, because I run a program that's specifically designed at doing this from like the ground up at agencies, right? Um, and I feel like not only that I'm taking my own experience and I guess you could say life expertise um, in the field, and uh, I'm taking that to an industry that I feel is a bit traditional, right? So um, as I come in, I, I'm not an outsider anymore. I felt like an outsider for a while. I had a different lens on this, right? Um, and as I look at the, the state of diversity and inclusion now, as Simeon said, like through the racial reckoning, I I seen I see a major shift, right? Um, and I think that the shift is coming from the conversation to more of commitment and initiatives, right? So I think they they understand that we've had the conversation for long enough, um, and they've been forced to sit down and really have the deep discussions that they can't avoid, right? So now they're, they're not just getting... Like what, how we feel, but they're also having to deal with why we feel that way and Mm -hmm. knowing that the power to change it is in their control, right? So a lot of times in conversation, I would say like, I don't have any of the answers that can help you change it because I don't have the connections to the people who have the power to change these things. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of the the issues are far more systematic than they are like surface level issues, you know. But I'm seeing my my perspective is I'm seeing a genuine attempt to to correct those things. But um, I feel like where we're at now and which I hope people stay the course is that understanding, this is something I used to say all the time when I started um, discussing our program is that it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change. So this isn't anything that you're going to fix by dieting for a couple of weeks and like, shit, we did what we had to do, Black people. This is good, right? And let me even correct that when I say Black people, because it's not just about Black people, and I think that's one of the issues. When you just focus on Black people, then you miss out on the other six plus points of difference, right? Because you do have race, age, gender, sexuality, faith, and people with disabilities, right? So when this just also the attention to those um, points of difference as well, right? I'm seeing... um, I guess you can say the industry be more open and understanding and just being more thirsty for the knowledge of how to address those things. Right. Um, This totality. So I I feel like I came at the right time, which like it was like right before the the reckoning, I guess guess you would say. So I, I think that's my perspective on it. I've seen it be a conversation and I'm seeing a lot more commitment and initiatives.
0: That's amazing. What are you not seeing? I love that you talked a little bit about the trends you're seeing and the conversations you're hearing, but like, I mean, you're behind the doors. You, you, you've been on the helpful side of the fence. What are what are you seeing that has not actually taken place yet in the conversation of inclusion?
2: So that's a very good question, right? And through my lens, it's hard for me to say what's not happening right now because, as I said, it's it's it's, a, it's not a diet; it's a lifestyle, right? So in some ways. I'm, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at a lot of people get the knowledge they were trying to, because the first thing you have to do is be educated. Like a lot of people did hey. not to the start, right? So you have to get them give them time to be educated, right? Um, digest that knowledge, right? Understand now what you're and how to apply that knowledge. Because as you're action planning and things like that, you're, you're trying to figure out how do I implement these things? But you're trying to implement my understanding of a concept and now how do I actually like strategically plan around that concept? And then now the next step is people are going to be figuring out, well, how do I test and, and calibrate, you know, those um, and adjust from there? So in my mind, I'm still looking at the, the 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 commitment part of it. Right. And I'm looking at people test their strategies. Um, but what I, what I will say is I think that an area of opportunity there is to simplify it. Right. I think that sometimes we make this a larger issue than what it is, because at the core, it's just based around respect, right? And respecting everyone and providing everyone equal opportunity. Um, it's not revolved around you having a checklist of words that you cannot say, because oftentimes if you just approach that person for who they are and by their name that they ask you to call them, then you don't really have to you know, address a lot of those issues. So I think that sometimes people can make it a, a, a lot more complex than what it really is. Um, and I think that simplifying it will help a lot of people navigate in the Asian. I mean, navigate in the industry.
1: Well, you say people who who are not not to call out names, but like generally yes. speaking, um, what disciplines or, or or titles are you seeing having this conversation or trying to implement um, these concepts for change?
2: So from our perspective, it's all, which is great, right? So the programs that, that we run or administer, which is the viewpoint that I have, right? Mm-hmm. Um we, we 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 encourage people to include um, individual contributors to leaders. So a lot of our programs have the leaders, but we want individual contributors there too, which I always said was great because those are the people most affected, right? So there's no sense of putting all leaders. Like my, my, my theory in this is like, shit, you've been making the same decisions for the last 10, 20 years and it hasn't worked. So maybe you need the perspectives of those who are most affected and leaving the organization, which oftentimes are your jun- junior level people or individual contributors, because the issue is they can't make it into those next levels, right, for whatever reasons. So um, in the programs that I've been able to run, which is the Workplace Enlightenment Certification, and sitting through some of those um, sessions, I'm hearing not only just, I'm not hearing people state it, but they're having discussions and they're informed, right? Because they they understand the basics, right? So from the basics, you can get it. And these things revolve, like, this, the more I have the conversation, the more I understand, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many different nuances. You have first understanding what the six plus points of difference are that make up inclusion and diversity, right? Then having a deal like, oh, shit, I was just starting to get used to, like, how do you treat black people? Now I got to learn how to treat black gay people who, who um, you know, who yeah. may be worshiping, you know, you know a different oh. faith that I'm not used to as well. This is going to blow my mind, buddy. (laughs) Right. So it's like when you when you break it down to the foundation, she's like, oh, OK, I understand what this group of people is. Right. How they feel like they may be seen or not seen and how they may be impacted by that. Once you break that down foundationally for each, then you get it. When you start understanding that um, privilege isn't just socioeconomically or racially charged. (laughs) Right. It's ableness, right? It's gender. So it could be black or white. If it's a female, I may have gender privilege walking through the park, right? Yeah. So once you, you, I'm hearing these discussions, but I'm realizing that that's what's shifting their perspective and opening up their minds for other circumstances down the line, right? Mm-hmm. So now they're able to put perspective to all situations and not feel like um, their privilege is attacked for whoever that may be, a black male, white male, whomever, right? Um straight male, like gay male, whomever. So <laughs> and I think that's six male. Please do not cancel me for that. But and, and, and those perspectives, like sitting in those sessions, really give me hope, right? Because I understand that when you when you structure the learning a certain way, the outcome that you get is totally different, right? So I feel like in the past. And some still do it now. People wanted to just address it, right? So, like, hey, we had an issue here, we did an unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Check the box. Yeah. We don't really know what to do after that, right? When well, yeah. we have the next issue other than schedule it. When like the the particular program that I've been running or we've been running is, is um multiple weeks, right? So we kind of spoon feed you, right? Digest that, apply it this week, come back again. Right. Now your discussion is a bit more in depth. Right. Then we look at different case studies. You can see what's the impact of things that don't happen. Right. Um, and I promise you, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just giving you my experience mm-hmm. and how I came about. that. Right. Okay. Um, so it allows me to have the conversations with some of the leaders and individual contributors around that. Right. And they're they're very willing to share the impact that the program has because they're like, you open my mind. Mm -hmm. right they've been telling me this thing and people forget like guilt will make you go on a show right and i'm going to give you like how i think this compares to advertising too right so i feel like oftentimes when you become aware and i think this is an issue when people become aware of the unconscious bias now that i'm conscious of it what do i do because i feel guilty and you haven't given me the next steps of how to (laughs) you know change other than letting me know that hey, I didn't know I was doing this, but now I'm doing it, if that makes sense, right? Yep. So what happens is they don't say anything and they shut down. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that, that causes further issues that are never spoken about because they just won't say anything about it, right? right. Um, and the reason why I say, say that compares to advertising, in my opinion, is because I feel like in advertising, um, as I look at it more, and this is as an outsider looking how creative ads used to be, I'm not saying that they're not as creative, but they're extremely safe. Mm. Right. And I feel like they take a general approach. If I, if I go this general, I won't offend anybody and we can survive. Right. Right. They're scared of what that creativity may cause as far as backlash. But in my opinion, I think that if you've had the proper conversations and can have a conversation about who may be offended by your advertising, then that's okay because everybody's not going to like everything. And especially in the society that we are now, but if you can fu- fundamentally say, this is why this is not offensive to this group, rather you may have taken offense to it for this reason. Mm. then I think that's a different conversation if that makes sense. Right. Cause yeah. I could say anything is offensive to me. It's am not saying you should dismiss my feelings, but it doesn't mean that I should cancel the thing that I felt was offensive either. Fair. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. One last question for you. I want to know if you, you are a real talk kind of brother, you always have something dope to say. If there was one person, any person that you heard about, read about, come across in this industry that you would love to have a straight talk, no filter conversation, who would that person be?
2: Um, Interesting question, right? So. Um, I feel, I will say the person that naturally comes to mind for me, and then I'll explain like why that is and possibly what my conversation would be based around. And I would say it's Coltrane Curtis, right? Um, And I would say for one, he's leading, he, he's a black-owned agency. I think that's dope itself. What I will say is his work is extremely authentic to the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Anything culturally related, he seems to have his hands on. And I feel like in some way, he's ahead of it because he's a part of it. Right. Um, and I would love to have a discussion with him about that. Any of the shows that we're watching, any of the celebrities or or people that I like in a culture who may not have a million followers, but I know this is who other people was following or biting their style. I see them commenting under his pitches, or I see them saying, you know, thank you for the pack. And I'm like, oh, he, you know, his his fingers on the post. So right. I, I, that's the first person that comes to mind. Um, just, to, just to, you know, tap his brain on, on, on that.
0: That would be so dope. Well, it's been so great meeting you and I know you got some questions for us. So we've actually never been interviewed on this show. um, And this is definitely going to be a table turning opportunity. So I'll let you kind of take it away. It's your show um, for the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes. So give us what you got.
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw, like I said, Let's start on a diversity perspective. Um, you all have been doing the show and been in the industry far, further than I have. Um, and one thing that I feel like younger generation and older generations tend to clash on, right, is when you say the progress, right? Have we made progress as a Black people, right? We tend to argue because they're like, well, we're still kind of in the same situations. And then older people are like, well, shit, you should have seen when I was here what it was like. So I, w- I would love to, to hear like you all's perspective on the progress that has been made in the DE&I space um, relative to when you first started and now?
1: I mean, relevant to the start, I think there's been incremental change or incremental progress. Uh, I think the fundamental difference between older generations and ours, and I say ours as millennials and Gen Z is that we, we're we a little bit more radical. And so we expect things, we expect to see overhaul because we've seen overhauls in our life, especially when you, when you look at it through the lens of things like digital and analog. We've seen dramatic changes. And so that we know that dramatic change or night and day change is possible. Um, as far as what's happened in the last couple of years, I think that there has been incremental change. Um, I think that there has, that the space has opened up quite a bit for people to show up authentically to work. And that authentic um their authentic presence, and I'm not going to say all places, but a lot of places is being more welcome than it was mm. a decade ago. Um, and just kind of thinking back to some of those earlier episodes of the stories that we told of things that we experience or things that we witness in the industry if they would happen today, those people would be fired probably on the spot yeah. because there had there has been a shift. I think in the awareness that has happened over the last couple of years, people who probably don't wanna change, uh, they know better now. And they know that those biases that they have, even if they don't care for whatever group, they know that they have to keep them to themselves if they wanna stay working in this industry. And out of minority. Right. Yeah.
0: I would also say, I think the biggest thing that I've seen change. So we talk about a lot of the same things. And I think for me, that's part of the frustration is that it's kind of like, fuck, we're still in this cycle of sexism, racism, uh, ableism, ism, 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 ism. But what I have seen shifted in the last five years, or what I have seen shift in the last five years, has been the democratization of leadership and the democratization of having a voice, wow. um, where the only people, uh, I think, when we started out that had a voice or that were featured for having a voice were uh, agency CEOs, brand CMOs, um, and, and your, your one face of diversity, whoever that was for you um, at the moment. It was, it was a very small group of very um, a, a privileged group of, of leaders that could speak on the challenges we, we experienced face in the workplace. And none of them at the time were people actually doing the work. None of them at the time were people actually experiencing the pain. But everybody wanted to talk about how great everything was and how wonderfully we were doing and how the agency that I own or the brand that I own is literally the best place to work (laughs) in the world. And what started to happen, and and I won't say that we, I won't say that we started it, but I will say that we were 100% a part of it, was as soon as people were, as soon as social media really started to take off around 2011, 2012, 2013, and people were able to get their hands on making their own blogs, people mm-hmm. were able to get their hands on creating their own podcasts with their Mac computers that they used at work, shout out to GarageBand, Apple needs to sponsor us,
3: mm-hmm. um,
0: more voices were able to come to the table and as individuals, we became our own agencies. So even like talking about being our own, our our independently owned and operated podcast, we were able to build our own audiences and share our content about our experiences with audiences that, that, that identified with us. Mm -hmm. And so the shit that we could say that was way more honest than we would ever give in an exit interview resonated so much more authentically and impactfully because it was real shit. Nobody Mm -hmm. was paying us to say what we were saying. Nobody Mm -hmm. was paying the people that post on Fishbowl when Fishbowl first started to say the shit they were saying. Nobody was paying the bloggers. We were just saying the shit because we needed an outlet. Like Mm -hmm. people, people were, and probably still are hurting Like, we were, like, we talk about how wild advertising used to be before Me Too when everybody was, like, drowning themselves in alcohol and drugs. And it Mm. wasn't just because of the rock star lifestyle. The Rockstar lifestyle was what it was because we were all hurting, working, not seeing your families, not being able to build real relationships, being completely passed over for, for opportunities at work. And where do you go to talk about this? And so with the, with, with the onset of social media and people starting to take advantage of being their own agents of change and agents of communication, I feel like that is the biggest shift. So now it's not just one podcast or three podcasts talking about the experience of being othered in advertising. Now everybody can talk about it. Everybody has a blog, everybody posts to LinkedIn, everybody be on fishbowl. And it's like, as much as people complain about complain about oh, it's just a bunch of people complaining, it's people giving you real ass feedback that if you mm-hmm. determine that you don't want to listen to, that's your fucking fault. Mm-hmm. You can fail. Go fail. We don't care. Um, and so that's what I've seen change. And
1: just, yeah, just to piggyback off of that, uh it also <laughs> I think when you talk about the complaining, and one of the things that we hit on earlier in the in the podcast was that the insights are in the complaints. And so if, you, if you're not looking to solve the problem, then all you hear is complaining. But if you are looking to make change, then you hear the insights that are in the complaints that people are having.
0: And not just not just that, because I think being on this side, being on the side of leadership now, which is also different, like, <laughs> I ain't gonna say we got money, money, but we definitely got a little bit more money than we did before. That is for real, right? Yeah. And so when we didn't have money and people would, would, would talk, you know, being on this sorry, being on this side of leadership, and people talk about, oh, I don't want to really read the feedback. It's because some of these people have never heard somebody talk shit to their about them to their face in such a long time, right? <laughs> and for those of us that constantly get feedback that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're not this, we're not that. You're not great. You're not white. You're not man. You're not cisgendered. You're not this. We're cool with hearing complaints because that's all we're used to doing is hearing complaints. So it's easier for us to look at it as an insight as opposed to people who have been on the other side for so long that you've lost touch with what it's like to not get an A+. Mm-hmm. If you're a C-plus student and somebody gives you C-plus work to work with, you know how to use it. <laughs> if you've been told you're an A-plus student your whole life and you get a C, you feel like, shit, I don't know what to do with this. I got I, I failed. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, you know, it is a new generation of capable people with better, more authentic resources to make change and and to activate than there had been before. And that's why we're seeing a lot of shit speed up now than we had in the past.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of, so this is something that I, I feel like and I always like to get people's perspective on, especially Black people, right, when we're talking about moving the needle. So I would love to get you all's perspective. I'm going to figure out the, the best way to to pose the question, right, or I guess I'll make a statement and get you all's take on it. I feel like one of the obstacles we have as Black people is that we do range, right? So. As a black people, we have some that are extremely conservative and some that may be constre- extremely liberal, right? You have, may have some that are in the same, we have some that are both, right? You got some that are mixed. So when, when people are asking, right, and I feel like it's easy sometimes to flip it on us and say, look, they're not even on the same page. So how can we do anything for them? Mm-hmm. Because we have a difference in opinion over certain topics. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um and I'm always challenged with what do we do about that sometimes, right? Like, yeah. because anything somebody asks me, right? I'm like, listen, you can't just get my opinion on things, right? Because I'm going to give you the opinion of the the person who was born in the South Bronx, where like, went to an age. I have all of these different yeah. nuances to me that build, you know, that influence the way I think. Right, someone else who was born and raised totally different, uh, of who's also black, may mm-hmm. give you a totally different perspective. So you can't just run with one. But what do they do when those perspectives are different? Right, like, mm-hmm. with, that's like what? That's everybody. Yeah. Right,
0: but that's but that's everybody. That's not that's not even a black thing. That is literally yeah. a human fucking. That is a that is a human thing. Everybody is different, and I think that the challenge is that. Or the problem, rather, I would actually say this is more problematic than it is challenge, is that when we look, if, if the question is specific to race, when we look at people of color as individual groups, instead of as diverse populated groups of individuals, and we assign stereotypes to them, we believe our truth becomes that Black people want this. hmm for those of us that experience, however we identify as a community, a group or community, whether you identify as Black, whether you identify as woman, whether you identify as another ethnic group, you know that your experience is going to feed your perspective about something. You, One of the biggest things that I feel like I always have to argue is that Black people are not just Black. They are black caribbean. They mm-hmm. are black african. They are african american. They are latin, afro latino. They are asian. Uh they are they are black and asian. They are biracial. They are this that and the third. They are poor, they are rich. They are christian, they are atheists. They are all different. And we don't all want the same thing because we're not myopic. The mm-hmm. same way, the same way I would say white communities or people within white communities don't view themselves as a part of one community. They are individuals who make individual decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. So can we, it's just that traditionally we have been grouped together out of survival, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we only believe in one experience. And it is our job as marketers to provide as many experiences and as many narratives that align with as many of those of of those experiences as as we can to remain authentic it's about being real about where people sit every black every black person in the world ain't been to the hood and nor should they right every black person didn't grow up poor and nor should they every black person didn't go to an hbcu and although I love my alma mater, shout out to the illustrious Howard University, the only HBCU in the world that matters, Isaiah, nobody's asking you can keep your keep your mouth closed. I'm here although, to talk
2: shit, but I'm not going to do it today. Like, that. we can do it offline. So although
0: I love my HBCU, not everybody should have to feel pressure to align with that experience. And right. so how do you, how do you deal with that? You get the fuck over it and you right. be real about it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I think the other thing is, right, these solutions are situational, right? And so anyone who tries to paint the broad stroke solution uh, for Black people, I think I'm probably going to give them the side eye. Um, if they're trying to solve it for the the Black people in their agency, then they should be talking to those people, right? And mm-hmm. getting all of those perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's And I keep going back to this because this was like the biggest thing that one of my biggest frustrations on why I felt like this podcast was necessary is in this industry with creative strategists, with strategists, with creators, um, with producers, we should be taking the same approach that we would take when we're solving problems for our clients. What's the brief? What What are we solving for? Who are we solving it? for you know the depth of any campaign is trying to solve is trying to speak to everyone at the same time right Mm -hmm. so being able to identify who we're solving for and understanding the nuances for for those groups or the people within their agency or the people you're trying to attract um that's that's the way to approach it so the broad stroke and I'm extra critical when I when I hear people in advertising talking like this because then I'm just like you're not good at your job and that I don't even I, I don't even want to know you um, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna side eye you and I may engage you for a little bit if you got drinks um, but <laughs> if you don't I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably walking away.
2: Yeah no no I, absolutely because um, that's a conversation I, I have all the time I'm like wait listen. Because I feel like as a Why as people a want so
0: many things. What do we do? Yeah, oh. I'm like
2: I'm like as a collective. You know, we have to be a step ahead and say, listen, right. this is the approach they're gonna take, right? When they do, right? We let them know we are, right? So you yeah. figure that part out, right? We are different, right? We don't have the same opinion. So yes, you do have to figure that out, right? right. And again, like I said, if you if you I feel like if you have. The fundamental understanding of what diversity and inclusivity is mm. then you're okay explaining why you made the decision that you made right? right whether it you know specifically appealed to this group of black people or not right yeah. um so i agree with you all um, yeah, I, I
1: feel like people who who want the brush up they probably say the blacks in private <laughs> 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 I'm said I feel yeah. like they say that oh, the black funny they don't address nuance right and I think right. that's the the yeah. thing about us and we've been saying this over and over and over again and and it's bizarre to me when i hear that approach in advertising is because we understand that there are subgroups we yep. talk about them all the time, with especially when it's with white people, right? We understand that white people are can be segmented into different groups based off of, of, of location, based off of economic status, based off of sexuality. But it seems to get really confusing for people when it has to do with people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it feels lazy, and that's why yeah. I don't have a lot of patience for it.
2: T- listen, I, t- I totally would agree with what you're saying, and. So, I would like to ask this, right? Um, you all have referenced past episodes a couple of times. So, I would love to know. Um, I wasn't privy to all of them. I started following you all not too long ago. So, I would like to know some of you all's favorite episodes.
1: I would say the the first 10. <laughs> first 10? <laughs> yeah, the first the, 10.
3: The of, angry years? The
0: angry
1: the, years? Yeah, the, the angriest episodes. The the lack of coof <laughs> the lack of care um were the best episodes because the more you know the more you 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 um taper your language if you will mm-hmm. uh, because you're trying to be an effective communicator but when you're angry and and Kai says this thing where it's like when you hit me, you can't tell me how hard you can hit me back, or how hard I can hit you back. And I feel like those early episodes were swings back. Uh, they were a response to, uh, quite frankly, a lot of fucked up shit that happened early on um, in our careers. And there was no outlet for us to swing back and keep our jobs because we were poor. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and we yeah. needed to keep our jobs. Um, and so those first 10 episodes, uh, and I think like Water for was Chocolate was in, was in there, yeah. uh, the miseducation so, okay. of diversity was in there, um, were just unfiltered. We didn't care. And it was therapy in a lot of ways um, because if I didn't do it I probably would have cursed somebody out at work we were we were heading we were heading to that place where a lot of these Gen Zeros are right now they're just (laughs) like I don't care Um, I was close to there and so those first couple of episodes I think will always be relevant because somebody is going through what we went through in those moments and they feel exactly how we felt.
0: Agreed. I would say um episode one and episode six will always be dear to my heart, also because I feel that they were just the realest. Like we were in our rawest states when we recorded both of those. Um episode one was the miseducation of diversity, where we were just trying to figure out, hey, what the fuck are we doing on these mics? What are we trying mm-hmm. to say? Um, and then again it was um, well, let's talk about this shit because at the time and i'm sure sometimes even now diversity just meant black when people talked about diversity they're like oh you're you're black right well you know it's a diversity event you're black you want to go right like i'm sure they, they people would have no idea like at the time we had no fucks given about diversity all of a sudden hey there's a diversity event going on you're gonna be there right you're like what the fuck (laughs) First of all, I don't know you. Second of all, what are we talking about? We were in our our state trying to figure out what the fuck is this? People keep talking about this diversity thing. Are we just talking about Black people? Are we talking about women? What is it really? What are we trying to do? And the beauty of that episode is we never came to an answer. We were literally just kind of pondering amongst ourselves. And I think that there's a beauty in that because I, I, I say it all the time, like critical thinking is so important to the work that we do and so many people don't fucking do it. Right. and we were we were we were saying things and then taking a step back to like reiterate like is that really what we want it to mean is that really what we want to do um and we never we never came to an answer <laughs> I, I, I to me that was like the most amazing thing and then like water for chocolates um like water for chocolates i know so many people right now talk about 20 the summer of 2020 and george floyd gara Sissel, and and blessings to his family but y'all before George floyd we were taught like shit before twenty sixteen that summer of twenty sixteen that mm. that first week of July in twenty sixteen where all we saw were black men on TV being killed by police before that, we have been experiencing what it is like to work in an industry where people love to put our music in the campaigns they love to dress like us when they come to work they love to quote jay-z quotables with us and at the time mm-hmm. love to ask you about the new Nicki minaj album child everybody wanted to know nikki and yet you come to work and i think the the charleston church shooting had happened recently mm-hmm. and you have all of these black men being gunned down and and people fighting and protesting and Pepsi out here someone showing some fuckery on TV. <laughs> and nobody has had anything to say. No. Not one person. Every black person came to work that that week raw. And everybody was like, can you hurry up and get me that timeline, please? Yeah.
2: yeah let's... You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, like, yeah.
0: it was the only outlet we had to talk about it. And the beauty of that episode was we put that shit out there and and that's when people listened. And all of a sudden people started asking us questions and pulling us to the side and and showing up in our emails. And now they want us to come talk because we said what was on our spirit. Um and and it was those moments of growth, of honesty that led to growth that really made me appreciate what we were building within the show. Um, and then for shits and giggles, I loved all of the, the conference episodes. I loved the 3% episodes and getting to talk to people that we could only read about in ad week and ad age. Um, and I loved ad color for, for, you know, for, for giving us the opportunity to see what was going on backstage and to talk to people after they were winning awards. Like it, it, it validated for me what we knew, which Mm -hmm. is that we're good enough to be, to rock with everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had some really dope episodes.
1: Can I say a, about, you, you said something interesting, Kai, kind of about that first episode that I think relates to something that um, you were talking about earlier, Isaiah, which is we never got to an answer at the end of the miseducation of diversity, and I feel like that is an illustration of just diversity overall. There is never going to be one answer. So when you talk about, you know, this is a this is a lifestyle change not a diet there's they're gonna they're gonna be new questions right so even if you get to an answer today tomorrow there's going to be more questions because as people as spaces are created for people to live their most authentic authentic lives they start to realize new things about themselves and now need to be implemented into those strategies right so 10 years ago nobody was Talking about pronouns, there were no pronouns in Maybe. and signatures, yeah. and so now we're in a space where you better get those pronouns right. And so there's this is a lifestyle change to your point, and so there's never going to be the end of a need for conversations like this. So, which is why I think it's really great that that you're taking it over and you're asking me questions that are going to usher in change for the realizations that people are now going to have as they're they're able to live their most authentic lives in these spaces that have been opened up for them.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, even when when you all just mentioned the fact that, like, in any, in any industry, I feel like when you came to work, when we were just getting murdered, it was like, well, shit, did you do so-and-so? And you're like, if you knew how I really felt right now about you, like... Yeah. You know, uh, and it's like, well, dang, like just the, the, I would say the feeling that this is inappropriate to speak about at work, though it's affecting me personally Mm -hmm. and how that's totally shifted now. But overall, what I hear from the both of you all was like this, this platform became like a diary, right? Like an open diary to, you know, just being young, young black professionals, right? Um, And like just finding an outlet for that right like if, if you you know some people say if you were a kid like dealing with these things you might go into boxing or something like just finding an outlet and i felt like the the platform ended up being like your punching bag right for you all to like let loose
1: absolutely absolutely This this was definitely i mean there were some episodes where we came in, back when Outside was open uh where we came <laughs> into the studio Legit ready to fight.
0: <laughs> and when we say studio, like let's be really clear. Simeon has always had this fake studio in his mind about recording where it was like, bro, we just about to meet whatever open office is in whoever's agency, whoever has space and can get us in, that's where we're opening the laptop and recording. But we was mad. We would yeah. be fucking mad. Like I remember, I know I talk a lot about like um. The the day I was sexually harassed or told specifically by a creative director I was working with that I should go into a closet and have a, a meeting with him, uh, with a wink, um, was a day we were recording, and it was at the like at the beginning of the Me Too movement, and I was just like, I just remember being just so aggy that day because I was like, yo, these dudes think I don't fight. Also, also like, uh, I think in that same week had thrown a mug at me,
2: Huh?
0: had thrown a mug at me. Well, not. Well, no, you know how black people say you throw something at them and it's like, you didn't throw at them. But like he he slammed it on the floor near me. Close enough. Close enough.
3: (laughs) Close enough.
0: And I just remember feeling like we were right, right before recording. I was like, these people think I'm sweet. They think I don't fight. They like, you don't understand. I have bills to pay. And that's why we're not like scrapping right now. And like the only way we could get that off our chest was by doing these shows. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about it then. Mm-hmm. I can only talk about it now.
2: Yeah. No. I. I th- especially, I don't think people understand. Like podcasts in 2016 weren't like household. Wasn't a household thing like it is now. We we're
0: all listening to the read and NPR.
2: <laughs> two I was listening. I was listening to Taxstone.
0: Okay. The oh Tack yeah. Stone,
2: and Drink exactly. Champ. But uh, you know,
0: RIP, like, and Joe Budden had just started. Yeah, and Joe, yeah.
2: Joe Budden had started his. I would brilliant idiots was one I would listen to a lot too back
0: then. Oh, I don't like um, um, I don't like what's his name Andrew on like that man.
2: Joe, yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, man. I would listen to those back then. Um. So yeah, speaking of that, like, what would you say some of, some of your favorite guests were um on the show, and why 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 were they your favorite? So like, what stuck out about um.
0: I loved having I love having the really smart people on the show, like the people who knew their work inside and out, right? Like, and sure, everybody can be smart. But I think, um when we went to when we went to the three percent conference's first chicago uh, uh, conference, uh-huh. um we met folks like, uh, at the time, she was. At the time, she was at Airbnb, or was she at Airbnb now? I think she, Nas was at Airbnb. Um, I'm forgetting her last name, but Nas was at Airbnb. Shout out to her. I saw on Instagram she just got married. I believe she was a creative director then. Um, we that was when we spoke to Cindy Gallup. That was when we met Lisa Stromberg and um, Kat Gordon, and just and Bernadette Rivero. Shout out to Bernadette and the Cortez brothers in, um, in California doing their thing on the production side. Um, Steven small Warner, just listening to people who love their craft, right? Mm -hmm. Like we talk about DEI a lot, but I'm just a sucker for somebody that knows what the fuck they're talking about. And there are so many amazing people, amazing and diverse people who and by diverse. I mean, white men too, who just know what the fuck they're talking about. And they really get the work and they, they get the work so much that they have room to, to, to welcome other people into the conversation because they are not um, threatened Mm -hmm. by new ideas and newer people. And and so those episodes and those guests have always been my favorite. And of course the episode with goddess, when she just started presenting about black Twitter. um, And I remember at the end of that episode, we said to her, you know you're about to be famous, right? And if you mm-hmm. know anything about Goddess Rivera, she'd just be like, nah, you know, I'm you know, I'm just, like, Goddess walked in with a bottle of Moscato to that episode we recorded. She's like, I'm right. just, I'm just cooling with y'all. You know, we just chilling, you know, we people or whatever. Like, we good. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, nah, sis, like, you about to be famous. And lo and behold, a year later, Goddess just was on the rise. And so that was beautiful to see as well.
2: To to that point, so something, and I, I, I feel like I'll speak about this more um, on a podcast, which is, and I'll keep it short, I'm far more inspired by a Black person telling me the impact they make within their, um, impact that they have made within their discipline than I am to hear their story as a Black person.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that most of DE&I and, and leaders, like, they just want us to keep telling our stories about being Black and how to navigate being Black. But I'm like, most of our not that our stories are the same, but we have similar experiences as Black people in the industry. Um, however, I think that people are far more moved by seeing seeing themselves do something that they couldn't imagine that they they could do because they had never seen anybody like
1: themselves do it before. Agree i don't have a favorite i'm sorry uh <laughs> i thought
0: you were gonna say shantae because i know that you were i mean yeah i bacon cs episodes
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of them brought different things to the table uh and in a lot of ways it was a lot of those episodes were like master classes right so um Goddess breaking down black Twitter was was a masterclass because I i can't get in. Like no matter yeah, how yeah. I try, right? So um Shantae breaking down just the way that um how black owned agencies navigate the the industry and you know bring their value to the table. Uh, the 3%, uh, episode, the 3% episodes, uh, brought a lot of interesting people to the table and it wasn't just about their, their, um, their perspective on women within the industry, but just again, their craft. Uh, I think a lot of those activations that we did on the ground at events, uh, were some of my favorite because they were really like to the point, um, 3% 3% add color from backstage, uh, talking to people like Steve uh Pammon and um Emil Wilbekin, and the women from Curly Girl Collective. Uh, because they were so like to the point and people were like running in and out, they were dropping gems and bouncing. <laughs> so I liked a lot of those episodes, but I don't really have a favorite. Um, I think they all brought something to the table as as a creative. My I like to be a sponge. So getting different insights from different people, like I use them. Like, and even if I don't realize that I'm using them, I use a lot of those insights and bring them to the table when I'm working on campaigns and, you know, yeah. writing.
0: Well, I'll come back and I will actually go ahead and throw Shante Bacon see it's in there. And I'm gonna say why here, and I've never told her this. So she may listen, she may not. Um, it's safer this way. Shante was an amazing guest, not just because of the amazing, the, the, the great, um knowledge she brought to the show on both episodes we had her but because of this so we are talking about jay-z shante started her career as a college rep for def jam right and i remember when i was coming up as a college rep at howard and meeting shante and just like falling in love like that's who i wanted to be like um and she i think at the time she was like a couple years out of uh, uh, releasing Kanye's first album. So mm-hmm. uh, Shantae was part of the team that helped to, to uh, launch Kanye West, um, or Ye, as mm-hmm. as, as <laughs> call him now. I call him what his mama call him. Right? <laughs> um, but when I met Shantae as a college student, I was working an event that she was a speaker at, and I was supposed to be one of those handlers. And I left her in a back room somewhere because I didn't think I was, she was supposed to be seen by the public. So I told her to wait in some back room. And I was <laughs> going for mad long and came back and she was gone. And I was like, I blew it. I will never be successful in this business because I left Shantae Bacon in a back room closet somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and fast forward like a whole decade later and, and she became um, an industry colleague as she made the switch to advertising and also a friend to the show and to me personally and so you know the show the show had a lot of really good full circle moments i'm glad she made it out the closet safe safely
2: yeah clearly and you made it as well so um it worked <laughs> out well oh so check this out right um it seems like you all probably have some cool ones so what is like your favorite behind the scene moments or like some behind the scene moments the viewers or the listeners would love to hear
1: about
0: I got a couple, but Simeon, what
1: you what? uh favorite behind the scene moment. Hmm. like shit. I just so So Karina's not here. Um, but there was a moment that we had with Karina where the interesting thing about this show is again, this is not about uh coming to a one definite answer on a topic, right? The mixed company has like so many different meanings and it's also situational. And there was a moment where she was just like, I don't know if I should be doing this. I feel like I just ask questions and I don't necessarily provide answers. And I think that was a moment that for me really solidified the value of the show because this is a safe space to ask questions and for people to have discussions about and bring their different perspectives to the table to uncover these insights that can be utilized in a lot of different ways. Um, so I would say that was, that was a favorite moment because I think it was either before recording or after recording where she made that statement and it turned into a really long discussion um, that allowed her and us to identify more value for the show. Mm-hmm.
0: That was a really that was a big moment because that was when we were starting to um to figure you know we were trying to starting to figure out who the hell we were and what yeah. our what our voices meant to to this at the time and and still even budding audience um and that was a real conversation we had amongst ourselves um my favorite behind the scenes moment and I could tell it now because people have gone on to do amazing things um, happened in can. Um, while I was severely jet lagged, and Simian and I had been invited uh by the New York Times. Um uh and Amber, Amber Guild at the time was the head of uh, Tea brand at the time. Uh, we had been invited off of the recommendation of our a good friend of ours to go to this breakfast, this very elite
3: breakfast
0: <laughs> full of very elite and senior level folks. Um and I ain't gonna lie, I was jet lagged and I was t- tired of talking about diversity to all of these really senior level executives who are literally the people who have the power and money to make change. Yeah. Spiraling about what we should do. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to solve it. Oh my God, we don't know how to do it. And I was just over it, y'all, because I was hungry and I was tired and it was just a lot. Um, and so we went to this breakfast, and the breakfast was amazing because they were launching the 1619 Project with Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, they were launching, actually, uh, quite a few projects um, that focused on racial, uh, uh, um, just equity. Um, and the 1619 Project was being presented and unveiled at this breakfast. At the time, I did not know who Nicole Hannah-Jones was. Um, <laughs> and bless her heart for sitting to my left. During wow. the breakfast. Um, and so, you know, I'm observing, I'm there, I'm listening, I'm eating my woofs. Apparently that's how you say eggs in French. I speak Spanish, so I don't know none about that. They weigh both to me. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm observing and I'm getting frustrated because we're going in circles and people are not, the the white men in the room, Can Creativity Festival was made for white men. Right. They yeah. are king there. They are the ones in power there. They are CEOs, CMOs, C something O's. They make well over, at the, you know, this is what I'm thinking. I don't think I'm wrong, but I'm thinking they make well over a half a million dollars just in salary, not even bonuses. They do well for themselves. This is vacation to them. This is work financed vacation. And they're sitting there while all of these journalists, including Nicole Hannah Jones, are presenting their new platforms and talking about all of the things that the New York times is going to do and starting to publish and starting to correct about the reporting in the past. <laughs>
3: it's,
0: it's, it's really good. It's really awesome. Mm. Yeah. I wish, I wish somebody could change racism. I I wish, I wish somebody would just be able to put up the money for us to be more inclusive. And I'm looking around like, if these dudes can't do it, who the fuck can do it?
2: There should be an app for that.
0: And so. <laughs> <laughs> and so Amber stands up and she's like, Does anyone have final words? And I was like, you know what? This is what happens when I get hungry and tired. I was like, you know what? I got something to say, but I'm gonna wait till everybody goes and say mine last. like, okay. So I wait for everybody to say what they have to say. And I stand up and I said, I really appreciate hearing something to the effective. I really appreciate hearing everything everybody said. But I just want to call out the white men in the room that sat here and didn't say nothing because y'all are literally the people who make decisions for all of these organizations that we're talking about. And every last one of you sat here and didn't have anything to say, you don't have anything that you want to do and are not taking this as an opportunity to ask questions in a safe space, talk about what you're going to do. It was, and I said, it was very condescending to watch you sit here and listen to all of these, to all of this information as if there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. I offended so many people that morning (laughs) In that, in that lovely French, uh, South of French, uh, town. Um, and I remember feeling very angry and shaking and Nicole Hannah Jones was sitting there. She was like, I didn't even think about that. You right. <laughs> she kept eating her breakfast. Um, and I think that for me, that was a very powerful moment, but also like a scary moment. Cause it's like, damn, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I went a little bit hard. Um, and I know I, I'm sure. I, to this day, I believe that Amber Gill was completely horrified um, that I said anything, and probably irritated and angry um, because why you come here messing up my breakfast? I'm trying to do my event. You starting <laughs> yeah. shit? Like I, I get it, sis.
2: Um, yeah, she invited wrong auntie.
0: You know, like she, 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 she did say she did talk about her experience as as a biracial woman, um, and and you know it's hard to, to make people do things. And I was like, fuck it. But I will say coming out of that breakfast and seeing how far the 1619 project has, has grown and the impacts that it has had and being able to say what the fuck I felt in that moment at that breakfast. And also to see the the trajectory of, of Amber Guild since then, because she left the New York times and their fuckery. Um, and now she is the CEO of gray, New York of mm-hmm. an advertising agency and to my knowledge she's only the second ceo black woman or or woman of colors uh, um with african-american heritage i was you know as a woman yeah. a woman who has african-american heritage um within the advertising industry only second to uh ann fudge um who was also who was at y back in the day um and You know, it was a scary moment. Um, But I think Simeon and I kind of fucked shit up while we were out there, calling everybody on their shit, telling everybody what we had to say and giving everybody a piece of our minds. Um, And while it was uncomfortable for, I'm sure, a lot of people, I don't regret it. I don't regret it because people were talking about it recently and I had to be like, oh yeah, that was me. So, (laughs)
2: so there's that. Yeah, no, no, I think it's cool. Sometimes, I think sometimes that's what it takes, right? Like,
0: that's what happens when you don't listen to the show. Because now you got a whole bunch of people that start shit at your breakfast.
2: You should, you know. Should yeah, they like should have, in other words, <laughs> you should have knew who she invited.
0: <laughs> you should do research. But, you know, it worked out for everybody. I still got a job.
2: Clearly, and you still have the show. So, <laughs> uh, so speaking of which, right, I feel like it's been it's been a pretty long journey for you all, right? What's this, five years, right? Twenty six.
0: I think five. I think I counted five before the show.
2: Yeah. All right, cool. Um, So I would like to know if you can change anything about the journey um, to this moment with the show, what would it be? And I'll have a follow-up question after you answer that one.
1: I wouldn't change anything, honestly. Uh, I think we did it the way that it was supposed to be done, uh, which is unapologetic and extremely raw at times. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't change anything. I also feel like this is like a really good moment to transition off of the, the typical format as well, because I think everything else that we need to say needs to be said differently, um, than we've said it before. Uh, so I wouldn't, I'm, I'm Gucci. Heard you.
3: Um,
0: I wouldn't change anything. I probably would have started earlier. Mm. Um, I, like I probably would have been more confident with what we had earlier in the game. I think for the first year we were, you know, a little scared. We didn't think anybody would care. We didn't think anybody would like it. We, we thought we were too vulgar and vulnerable. Um, but as I listened back to some of the shows, I'm like – we're fucking
3: smart.
0: You <laughs> like, we were fucking smart, and and you know, doing a podcast um, was Karina's idea.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, shout out to Karina for for having the idea and wanting to create something, and and um, shout out to her boyfriend who, or, or sorry, her fiance now, who is a Grammy award winning producer who produced the track that we listen to. Like, we have a gem that I feel like. Had we started promoting ourselves with the confidence that we were the best advertising podcasters alive earlier, we probably would have went to Cannes three times over.
2: Yeah, probably so. I don't doubt it at all. And with that being said, my next question is, I really feel like, right? (laughs) <laughs> this is like AJ and free, right? And a hand in the whole one of them. <laughs> yeah, my man's, they go to the same school as me, right? To Terrence Day. Very ironic, but I feel like that. And in doing so, I don't know if AJ and Free had non-negotiables, but I know the public has some non-negotiables that we didn't get a chance to deliver. So it took a little bit of adjusting, right, until we really fully accepted them. So I'm trying to cut my adjustment time down. And I would love to ask you, well, what are some non-negotiables you would like to stay with the show?
1: Um, I think staying... Not staying curious is a non-negotiable. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that you started this off with talking about the diet versus the lifestyle. Um, I think anybody who tries to implement the diet is just not good for diversity. Like they're just, they're, they're boxing in the the amount of narratives that need to be told and solutions that need to be um, implemented. And so I would say not not staying curious is a is a non-negotiable. And I think when people don't stay curious then ego takes over and mm-hmm. and, and we've seen it. I'm <laughs> gonna throw some shots of uh, people who are who are in who've devoted their way into this space without real knowledge. Mm-hmm. about what happens on a day-to-day in the agency in the roles that actually make the work um, and so not being curious lets ego take over and that is more harmful to um, to the people because this is about the people then um, well no that's that's the statement it's harmful to the people when you don't stay curious and you let your ego um, put narratives out into the world that that don't address what's really happening on the ground. Mm-hmm.
0: That was cute. You busted shots, but they were in the air, so don't nobody. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it like that because I was like it's gonna go over so many people. Because you know
1: what I mean. Ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, like cats who don't who I don't respect, I don't say their names. Mm.
3: Mm. Okay, um,
0: that's real. I think, um, the the non-negotiable for me, um, in making this show has always been doing it from a place of honesty. Like there have been times, there have been so many times where we've had to call each other out on episodes, and like we <laughs> argued, like argued. I mean, and it's also why we remained so close. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you about your mama potato salad because it fucking sucks. <laughs> like, and I and I need you to respect me for that because how if we can't hold ourselves accountable on this show as peers and as friends and 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 as family, basically, then how the fuck are we gonna go to these conferences and these these events and these spaces and try to hold other people accountable? We've mm-hmm. also allowed ourselves to change our fucking minds about shit. Mm-hmm wreck and, and like embracing the change where we were in 2016 when we started this show in March of 2016 when we started talking about this show is not where we are December 1st 2021 ending this show um mm-hmm. and embracing the change and, and allowing ourselves to be wrong and allowing ourselves to not always have answers while also allowing our, allowing other people grace to get better. Just because I'm giving you grace to get better doesn't mean I'm not mad at you. It means that I'm willing to work with you. And that was the whole purpose of this show, is to say the real shit. And you can only say the real shit when you say it in the voice you're comfortable with, with the words you're comfortable with. And sometimes that's a fuck shit <laughs> and a dick. You know, like it, it, like sometimes like you have to say the things in the way you need to say it to get it out. Yeah. And, then, and then organize it once it's on the table clean it up once it's on the table but it has to get out and like that has to me has been the magic um that to me has been what people respect us for like there's so many people that <laughs> that come up to me sometimes and like quote shit that we said and i'm like that's what you took from that <laughs> I didn't realize that that was some good shit, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad it got you where you needed to go. And so authenticity and honesty and 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 vulnerability and grace are non-negotiables for doing were non-negotiables for me for doing this show. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm blessed that we've been able to make the impact, um, even if it's slight, even if it's small that we have.
1: Yeah, I would say to piggyback off that, um, it's it's been a space of accountability. Uh, holding other people accountable who have declared themselves our leaders uh whether that's your boss or industry leader whoever um but then all, also holding us with ourselves accountable um and i think that's been the the magical thing about the show is, there's just always been accountability. And I think that's been the theme of the show from the get-go. I mean, there's been a lot of themes, but we started this because people were not holding themselves accountable to the things that they were saying.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. um, I think I can keep those things alive as I I continue the legacy of the show. Um, I was about
0: to say, like, you and Simeon keep saying stuff, but we haven't even, like, broke news. So I think I think think it'd be good to say now. So while Simeon and I are taking a step away from mixed company podcasts, the goal is to not get rid of the platform um, as a platform. Like this is still mixed company productions, LLC. Shout out to us being business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, And with that, that means that because there is an audience and because there's space for these conversations, we are allowing, we we want to open space for other people to be able to contribute. Um, And so one of those contributions is going to come from um, Isaiah, um, throughout 2022, um, and bringing you all content because he knows some shit we don't know. He's seeing things we don't see. Um, and he's sitting in a space where we haven't sat. And I think that that perspective needs to be brought to the table. And so, um, after this episode, we're going to kind of, we're, we're, we, Simeon and I are stepping down, but Mixed Company, um, is going to, to transition into a new piece of content, which Isaiah will lead and he will continue the legacy of the the honesty and authenticity that um is missing from the business. Um and so while we are gone, we are not far, as Simeon said earlier. Right. Awesome.
2: Yeah, an extension. <laughs> an
0: extension. All right. And speaking of extensions, I guess I will sign off for the final time. Um, no need to get emotional because you know folks still gotta be out here producing these episodes when Isaiah is doing it. But um i guess i i shit how do you close the show if there's no next episode i don't know I mean, if you want to look at old content and you want to kick it with your with, with your with your with your industry cousins you guys can still reach out to us on ask Mixed company on, um, on Ask Atmix Company, on all the social media channels. You can catch up on all 144 recordings <laughs> that we have done since 2016 um on all of the, the the streaming services. We've got Spotify. We've got SoundCloud. We've got Stitcher. We've got Google Play. I'm sure I'm missing... Oh, uh, uh, Apple. Apple yeah. Podcasts, of course. <laughs> um, you can listen to us. Um, and you guys can follow us individually. You've got me. Um, at my life of Kai you've got Simeon at cognac cognac jones um and 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 make sure you guys follow and support and tell your auntie and them your cousin and them your co and them about Isaiah um because as soon as he comes to the table with some content you guys definitely need to tune in um and if you've got an idea that you'd like to post um that you'd like to to host on the mixed company productions. Platform, we got space and love for everybody. If you're in this business, if you're a creator, if you're creative, if you've got an opinion that is different, um, if you feel different, if you've ever been othered, bring your shit here. Um, if you don't want your agency and your brand,
3: all in the videos, videos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) bucking up your paychecks or whatever. Come to mix Company podcast. We've got space and love for you. Um, and let's continue, let's continue the vision forward. Peace. Peace
1: out, y'all.